and welcome to the Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Patrick Gremion for one, for real this time, final last time. Don and I decided to do one more, uh, one more bonus app, and then we're going to get back into the thick of it next week. I, uh, I apologize, and I promise we'll be back next week. The episode I picked for this uh, is just an old school classic. This one rolls. If you haven't listened to our Brooks Brooks episodes, they're all very fun and worth a listen. But I think the mother slash as good as it gets up is one of our. It's one of the peak episodes in this series. Um, the beginning is an Alzheimer. Don and I riffing on uh, Danzig's mother being about the Albert Brooks movie mother. Uh, that, um, mama mia, that's, that's, that's podcasting, baby. Thank you all so much for listening. You're all wonderful. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please give us an email at the Academy Academy podcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's the Academy Academy podcast at gmail.com. Or give us a tweet at the Academy. Thank you everyone who listens to these rerun apps for listening to them. That means a lot. And we look forward to bringing uh, new content in our next weeks of eps. Um, relax and enjoy. Hack the pleasant movies on the silver screen. Hack to get the pleasant roll of our dreams. But is that movie better than the one that I've already seen? Debbie Reynolds got things to say. <laughs> She's got freezer <laughs> cheese. Bread lines all the way, mother. mother. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the 46th annual award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest per- <laughs> greatest performance of your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Gravian. We're keeping that in the episode. Yeah, I think so. Welcome yeah, to the we're Academy. Keep- <laughs> uh, we're doing a little riff on the Outbrooks' film Mother with this. You know, he plays along with that Simon and Garfunkel song. And if he was a little hipper to the heavy metal scene of the early 90s, perhaps he would have rewritten the lyrics to Glenn Danzig's Mother as well. Oh, man. Yeah, he would love. Please, please, Albert. It's not too late. Find Glenn Danzig. We're not done. We're not done with this tournament yet, but I'm pretty surprised we haven't seen like Albert Brooks accidentally go on a date with a younger woman to like a punk rock club or a metal club and just be completely offended by the yeah by, by the dirt bags he's surrounded with. <laughs> yeah, this isn't Joni Mitchell. Yeah, I know. He's like, listen, I I love rock and roll. I love the Beach Boys. Yeah, <laughs> love. <laughs> I love Kokomo. Yeah, I'm a hip guy. No, his would be would super funny because he'd try and cl- he'd hate it, but he'd try and like argue that he was hip, regardless. It would be oh, very yeah. funny. He would just yeah, he would try to justify. Yeah, it's not in character for Albert Brooks to like Kokomo too. That's not a good. I wouldn't be playing too because he would also hate Kokomo. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, he's. We know he's got a great record collection. So yes, we learned true. we learned it in Modern Romance. Yeah, <laughs> he's got great records. <laughs> and that was, and you bet your ass they filmed that at his house. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's all, just of a it, all of it feels like. So in this, in Mother, he's driving a. I think he's got another Porsche that mm-hmm. he's driving around, and every one of them just feels like whatever car. Albert Brooks currently is driving in real life as his character's car. <laughs> yeah, there is like a surprisingly uh, uh, like it does feel kind of close to home. These well, and this is like to me, this ends the trilogy. This is like the modern romance lost in America mother. I feel like they skipped defending your life kind of like you know, wasn't co-written by Monica Johnson. Yeah. Doesn't have that same like different, uh, t- different tone, but mother kind of brings us back to the tone that we know and love from albert brooks oh yeah a hundred percent yeah and you're right like it is like uh dating marriage parents yes the key, the key relationship well it's like a parent slash divorce yeah yeah and i guess if you go all the way back to real life it's like just like work and yeah. like you know and that it kind of thing be, yeah it could be like a tetralogy i guess yeah monica johnson co-wrote real life too didn't she yeah yeah and i mean they're taking a bite out of all of these, out of these relationships. I mean, he's not, he does not make any of it easy. He makes it all very, very funny, but none of it's easy on oh, his character God. or anyone else involved. No, like, this is like the most I've, I think, hated the Albert Brooks uh, it's like, interesting. archetypal character. Like, this was the one for me where I was like, man, like, you're not fun to be around. Well, he's, I don't a little, know how you... he's a little baby man in this one, I think. <laughs> He like also like he just like moves into his mother's house like it feels like he rocks, I mean, it's rocking out to like the doors or something in his bedroom. It's just like dog, this ain't this ain't good. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like it's interesting. Yeah, he's a little baby man who you don't want to be around. <laughs> no, yeah. He's he's a psycho in modern romance. <laughs> that is true. He is the devil in my I take that back. Well, here's the thing. It's so funny because, like, in modern romance, he's literally the devil. He is a bad, like, he is, like, he's, like, one uh, knife away from being a Freddy or a Jason in he's modern like romance. The greatest, he's the greatest bad boyfriend ever put to screen, I think, in modern romance. That is true. He is, like, totally. But I think there's, like, I think it's, like, there's something about, um, maybe it's, there's, like, a level of like equality or something or like people in theory could like walk away from Albert Brooks easier in a way yeah. like Debbie Reynolds can't walk away from him <laughs> yeah it's like it's a son so like yeah she has she's stuck with this like crazy baby freak <laughs> we'll talk we'll talk a little bit more in depth later but do you think that there's a secret subplot where all of that stuff she has in her freezer is actually like a slow build poison to try and kill him <laughs> I mean that cheese is although the, the other son loves it. Yeah, the other, son, the other son's it. like, give me that dirty cheese. Like <laughs> give me that old block of cheese, ma'am. So we're already getting into it, but this week, uh, you know, we're we're we are swimming in the depths of the 1990s ocean. Yeah. This week with uh 1996's mother from mm-hmm. Albert Brooks and 1997's As Good as It Gets from James L. Brooks. Uh, our boys, 
the the Brooks boys, uh, you the know, Brooks boys. we're yep. heading into heading into middle age here. I, I do love it, mother. When Albert Brooks goes, I just turned forty. It's like no, you didn't. No, you did not, my man. Yeah, yeah you are. You this is a hard forty, sir. Yeah, this is like, are you sure you didn't just turn fifty? Like, yeah, like no shame, dog. No, no shame. No. But uh, yeah, so he's back with Monica Johnson with mother 1996 uh in the meantime heading into this he his uh, his other credit he he'd already been dropping in the dropping in on the simpsons as we all know mm. but uh he made the movie the scout which he was the writer of as well as the star with uh brendan fraser monica johnson also co-wrote that mm. one as well but that one was directed by michael ritchie who michael ritchie would be a very fascinating director for academy academy uh, bonus season yeah I mean, talking Just, like gems like the yeah. candidate and smile and mm-hmm. downhill racer but also like he was kind of one of those victims of like you rocked in the 70s but the 80s and 90s weren't as kind to you <laughs> directors fletch too as well right yeah and he did um bad news bears probably his most Ooh. probably biggest hit man i would guess uh, is there like another director called whose first name is rich so we could just do a richie rich yeah richie that's a good that's Folks, a good uh <laughs> hit us up with our hit us up at the academy academy email address yeah. <laughs> with, any, with any rich suggestions <laughs> to, to uh help us with the stupid title for, yeah to shoehorn into a season where we want only want to talk about one of them but we'll talk yeah. about the other one <laughs> yeah maybe buddy rich was secretly a director who knows Fame jazz drummer. Fame jazz monstrous jazz drummer. Yeah, horrid, yeah, horrid man, Buddy Rich. Uh, was he horrid? Was he a bad I think guy? he was, like, he was mean. Uh, like, no, a lot he's... of those guys are, like, famously, like, mean. Like, you hear these stories about, like, James Brown. If somebody would miss a note, he'd notice it and just give them this death look. And he's like, oh. and the person's like, am I going to be fired after this show? <laughs> like, he, like, even, yeah. like even James Brown was whiplashing. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all whiplash. All the uh, entire like, if you're if you got like what they would call like a tight band or something like that. Yeah. You got a whiplash man in the uh, band. Who's, God, yeah. I'm I'm more of a. I think fish throwing is more... throwing symbols at you and shit, shit like that. See, I'm just imagining bands like Fish being like that too. Just like. <laughs> Yeah, pa- no, Paige, pa- Paige McConnell just like whips uh, yeah. Trey Anastasio every single night. Yeah. <laughs> it's Tweezer, you fool! Tweezer, Tweezer. yeah, slap again. But then when they get it right, they realize they're all sociopaths and like we're all on good we're all on good grounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's okay. See, if they're all sociopaths, then it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I think that's how the United States and most business and certainly Hollywood has been running for quite a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, the Wall Street rules. If everyone, yeah. if everyone's crazy, then no one's crazy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> if everyone's horrible and, and, and irredeemable, then we're all irredeemable. It's great. I, I believe I believe that was something Nietzsche once said. <laughs> Old Nietzsche. Old Nietzsche. But um, as usual. They're both guys working their way through the 90s. Huge success with The Simpsons on all sides. I mean, Al Brooks involved in there, too. Um, But they're, you know, if you think about it, Albert Brooks coming off of perhaps his greatest critical success in Defending Your Life. um, But still waiting for that financial breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And uh, James L. Brooks coming off of the drubbing of I'll Do Anything. Yeah, that would be. I imagine it was quite a drill. Like it's it. Yeah, because that movie is such a uh, departure of quality. 
that it must have it must have hurt. It's interesting because, and we'll t- talk about it momentarily. If as good as it gets, you know, we were praising so much like the the way the script works and the storytelling works so well in broadcast news and in um, terms of endearment. Terms of endearment, of course, based on a book, so we had kind of a structure. But these movies are getting looser and looser in terms of like yeah what is the driving force of them like and i don't think a movie ha- i'm like i think as good as it gets i my first thought was like this is the single like highest peak of a middle brow hangout movie in which it's middle brow and just trying to hit all of like the notes that makes america smile and cry yeah but absolutely nothing really happens <laughs> Like, it's just like these people just kind of like hanging out, getting to know each other, maybe becoming friends. <laughs> yeah, it is very like even like Scent of a Woman has more like uh, meat on the bones. Like it truly is like it's almost like it's shambling. This is a very shambling. Like, people just sort of like kind of walk around and life happens and. And I mean, even, yeah, even yeah. like the part where he's like, we got to go on a road trip to Baltimore. I'm like, oh, it's that that kind of movie where they yeah. <laughs> well, like, then, oh, they got to go to take a drive. <laughs> you know? and, well, and it all feels so like this, like there's no like the instigate. Uh, I guess it makes sense for Greg Kinnear to go to Baltimore, but like Helen Hunt joining the, the troop. And that's like, a, OK, like, I guess she's just along for the ride. Yeah, yeah it's. And then yeah, it kind of gets rain manny. I don't know. It's like, you know, it's, it's like, it's is that like, a, is that a descriptive term? Rain manny? <laughs> like, yeah, it's rain man. There's definitely like a, yeah. I mean, I guess it's not as bad as like, yeah, cause at least in this, yeah. like his OCD isn't uh, uh, just to let the audience know Jack Nicholson plays a character with OCD and like his, his OCD for uh, is seems, not, seems very realistic. Yeah. And it's not, and it's not portrayed as like a superpower. Like he's not like, uh, <laughs> he's not like, uh, like, you know, counting toothpicks instantly. It's a, it's more of a mild inconvenience. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Okay. Before we get back to mother, I'm going to say this. I'm, uh, I went online and like tried to look up like if like this movie did a good job of portraying oh, cool. <laughs> and like I, yeah I tried because I was like kind of nervous I was like is this and apparently like Psychology Today thought it was a great portrayal like everything I everything I read was like this is in I don't know if that's true but I mean it sure doesn't know, seem like it but I guess if there's uh, yeah it was weird it was kind of like I here's my theory between you and me I the guy who wrote that psychology today article i think he remembered watching the movie in the 90s i don't think he rewatched. <laughs> i don't think he rewatched it i don't know you think like james l brooks was like hey you give us a good review tell if it was spot on i'll i'll give you a five minute phone call with jack <laughs> yeah. or something like that. maybe because it is like yeah you do watch it it's like yeah i mean i don't know well t- let's talk about mother it's, let's it's get inter- it. yeah so w- this was a um Five, another five-year break for yeah. Albert Brooks. He he definitely seems to let these ideas. Interestingly enough, almost on the flip side, like James L. Brooks, his movies feel like I've let all this marinate, but I don't really have anything. But I have to do something. Whereas Albert Brooks's feel like he goes to the lab and almost in like a scientific like perfection starts putting these pieces together. It just takes a long time because there mm-hmm. are these like you know comedy gems yeah he has to like really mold and put into game shape and get the bits like like the comedy stuff 
is so funny. Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah, there's like, I feel like every uh, Albert Brooks movie, at least the ones he wrote with Monica Johnson kind of has what I would call like a sketch portion Mm or like, yeah, it is just like um, just a perfectly honed bit that you could almost like so funny that you could almost like release that clip without the context on SNL and it would just like work as like a sketch. And like, yeah, there's like at least like four of those in this that are like, it's a, a material. Yeah. It's just, it's so funny. And you can kind of like in that way that like, good comedy is both surprising but also exactly goes in the direction you want it to go mm-hmm. like it, it's comforting but at the same time jarring in such a fun way so uh get to the stats here directed by albert brooks written by albert brooks and monica johnson uh starring albert brooks debbie reynolds rob morrow and then some other folks we might bring up you know kind of do one scene kind of one scene wonders but this is a tighter cast for yes. the most part, it's for the most part, it's kind of a two-hander between Brooks and Reynolds. But Morrow comes in with a little bit of um, adds a little spice. Like uh, he went to Araxis. Yeah, he's adds like, a little he's, spice to the mix. He's the, yeah, he's the he's the spice warp of the movie. He's, yeah, like, he's, yeah, when you see him, you're like, ah, oh, it's him. Would that be so funny, dude? It's like Paul Atreides' brothers, Rob Morrow. He's like, I know, I wanted to go with Lady Jessica. Yeah. I'm the one who likes the Gam Jabbar. Yeah. Why I, do I, it, I do it all the time. It's fine for me. I like it. You got to move back into the house. <laughs> I gotta hang out with Baron Harkonnen now. This is the only podcast you'll hear with a crossover between <laughs> Denny Villeneuve's <laughs> Dune and Albert Brooks's mother. <laughs> Albert Brooks should have uh, been like the Oscar Isaac character. Oscar Isaac or um, like Josh Brolin, like the tough guy. Yeah, the like, the like, like, uh, he's just doing his I'll do anything voice. Like, yeah, hey, yeah, guys. yeah. <laughs> Uh, like, how do I do tough? I just growl a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so this one came out Christmas Day, 1996, uh, made 19 million at the box office. And this is to this day his highest grossing directorial effort. Wow. Uh, holds an 88 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Consensus states, Albert Brooks' pugnacious insight is in fine form throughout Mother, a gentle showcase for the comedic curmudgeon and his sweetly acidic and a sweetly acidic Debbie Reynolds. Um, Mother has won the most awards of any film Brooks has Whoa, directed. Interesting. Uh, Brooks and Monica Johnson won the New York Film Critics Circle Award and National Society of Film Critics for Best Screenplay. Uh, Debbie Reynolds won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress in a Musical Comedy. Interestingly enough. Um, Yeah, this was, um, and you can feel it when you watch this movie, that it's a little bit easier. Still, still kind of is tough, but it's a little bit easier to take down than some of those earlier ones. Like, like, there's no scene in this where Albert Brooks is negotiating with the casino manager to get his money back. That is just pure pain. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. So yeah, there are no moments um, where uh, it's just absolutely painful to, I mean, there are moments though where like, you are just like Albert, what are you doing? But uh, there's a know. lot of moments like the sporting goods scene mm-hmm. in um, modern romance. Like it's kind of that style of humor yeah. where it's just kind of like what's it just escalating and like people like doing bits. It's it's very I mean, 
So basically, this basically the storyline is um, this time around. Albert is John Henderson, successful science fiction writer, less successful married man. He's just finishing up his second divorce. Uh, yeah, very Not funny doing... opening scene where he's doing that. Um, yep, Not and he is uh, flummoxed to say the least about his relationships with women. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that's a good way of putting it. He's flummoxed. He, he's flummoxed. He he's very he's in his head. Surprise, surprise about it all. So he feels um, perhaps this might all come back to his relationship with his mother Beatrice, who's played by Demi Debbie Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Um, so he decides the best bet to understand himself, to move forward, his relationships with women. Is to move back in with his mother and just see what kind of see what happens. I guess. Yeah, it is like I feel like this movie like even more than um, although like I guess Lost in America is a huge leap just to be like hey we're going across the country we're we're getting an RV like that's a huge thing that you have to pill you have to swallow but yeah but this movie is just kind of like um, I mean maybe that's like like that's that's the that's the that's the thing you have to take when you're doing one of these Albert Brooks films is that like he'll like just have these large like and you have to just like understand that he's doing it for the bit like you shouldn't ask too many questions about why he's doing this specific thing. Well, it's like it is like kind of a hero's journey kind of storytelling in a strange way <laughs> because it is like this, he's got a quest that he has to do. Yeah, it's just his quest is kind of selfish and. And like you know, and yeah. affects no one else in the universe but himself and the people he runs over along the way. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know what? I think like what scares me about this movie is like, um, I think like like you know, for some reason, like uh, his, I feel like he's just like his character. You know, what? let me rephrase what I'm going to say. Like his character is so like one track minded in this film and he wants to achieve a certain thing and there's like a certainty to what he's doing. And, he, and you see that in obviously in modern romance and especially in lost in America, but like there's something about him, like forcing his mom to like take all the stuff out of his room and like, well, he doesn't force her, but like he, he hires a guy. Yeah. He hires <laughs> a guy, but it's still like, like if she doesn't want you to move that stuff, like, I don't know, man. I, I think it's just like my brain for some reason. It's harder for me to like do that to my mom than it is to a. I don't know. It's weird. It it, it's, it did bother you because you texted me about it too. You're like, why is it's not fair that he's moving his stuff back in? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. There's something about it. Like I would. I think I, I have mom brain because if my mom was like, no, don't do that. I'd be like, sure, okay. I'm I'm the, I'm the guest. So I'll sleep on the couch or whatever. I'll say this. It's like he's lucky his mom even kept all of his like tchotchkes. Yeah. From, from, the, from, the, from the 70s and 60s. That's <laughs> fucking insane. They all look fresh out of the box, too. I know. Those a uh, sick 2001 poster. Yeah. Awesome poster. Like, cool. Yeah, his cool poster dude. collection was cool i mean like if i yeah. was 13 i'd be like cool posters man <laughs> oh 100 I'd, I'd have uh, a poster of i don't know wild wild west in my <laughs> room or <laughs> like I'd less, to cool, less cool posters yeah not as cool that's my version of mother i have a poster of wild wild west and space jam <laughs> but uh so as we get to know albert pays just wonderful attention once he moves into just the dynamic between his character and 
Debbie mm-hmm. Reynolds, and it just gets funnier and funnier. Oh, because, it rolls. And it like we don't need to be those guys who just repeat jokes right. <laughs> in movies or anything. But we could just guarantee you, like they're kind of like their differences with each other, their little like inane arguments, the one-off lines, his reactions to her, her kind of like sleeping giant reactions to him where she plays dumb all the time. But I think she's, <laughs> she's very much like a little bit more self-aware than he is. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. And, and then simultaneously. So he's got this little brother who's played by Rob Morrow, who is a successful sports agent. But we realize he's got his own mom issues as well. He gets very, very jealous that um, his older brother gets to move in, basically. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> and he acts like a bigger baby man even than John. <laughs> oh, it's totally nuts. Well, it's also like, it's so funny that Albert Brooks is able to like bring his brother down with him just by like him moving like just like his ad, the action of him moving into back into his mother's home, like ruins Rob Morrow's character. Yeah. Like it is, it's super funny. And this is like, goes to like a bigger issue. That's one of the things that Albert Brooks really is honing in on. And I think he can only hit hone in on it because he is himself, both, both the truth teller and the perpetrator of selfish boomer men <laughs> as they age. Like he's, be- he, and how it's like things didn't go perfectly because he was raised in the bird. Like, look at his mom's house in Sausalito. What a nice place. Oh, it rules. What a, place, what a lovely place to grow up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Very but, like leave it to beaver. Like wonderful. But, and, and John Henderson is not like his books are dopey and he's not Stephen King. We need to make that incredibly clear. Yeah. The movie <laughs> makes it incredibly clear. It sounds like he's successful. Like he he gets books published. He you know he makes yeah. you know like he owns a house in Los Angeles. And as people, as someone who's been looking to own a property in Los Angeles, anyone who owns property in Los Angeles, I consider rich. Yeah, oh, hundred like, percent. Like also, like yeah, like do you think like yeah? It does almost seem like this is like a just a slightly alternate reality version of Albert Brooks. Just replace yeah. like yeah, just replace sci-fi books with the. Uh, uh, high concept uh, semi-independent films. Yeah, and the interesting thing is that um, Albert Brooks took a little bit of time in his personal life to marry. Mm-hmm. His first and only marriage uh, was in 1997, the year after this movie came out. And he has he's had two kids since then. And also, interestingly enough, his output, once his kids started to grow, significantly <laughs> declines. So he's, he seems like a guy who may have found in life. So finally this level of like, Oh, I'm good. I found where to put the chair. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, that seems great. So, and I think that that scene actually is one of the key scenes of his entire career. So there's this scene at the beginning after he's been divorced and his, his, his ex-wife has gotten all of their, um, all the stuff inside the house, basically, mm-hmm. except for this one chair and his phone. And he quietly moves the chair to all four corners of the room in like one take, <laughs> trying to find the perfect spot for the chair. And he's increasingly dissatisfied with it until he ends up in the exact same spot. And that is the Albert Brooks character, like complete dissatisfaction, but then also needs to recognize, oh, my life actually isn't that bad. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, well, and like, also like this doesn't matter. It's like, 
<laughs> having like uh, really strong opinions about things that ultimately don't matter. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it, I mean, it's a, that's why he was such a natural fit for Curb Your Enthusiasm recently. Is yeah. that, uh, you know, I fit right in with the gang as someone who gets incredibly upset about things that minute things that don't really matter. Oh, yeah. No, I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with someone about maybe like art or like uh, just some dumb thing. And then like halfway through the conversation, I'm like, oh, I'm the asshole. I I cared too much about someone liking guardians of the galaxy i'm a fucking freak like that's that's on me <laughs> my, my my asshole move is i'll never forget this one night i was like talking we were talking about records with a group of friends late in the night having drinks at the bar yeah and we were talking about lcd sound system sound of silver had mm. come out fairly recently all of us agree we love that record yeah dearly it's a, and i was like <laughs> i was like i just stopped the conversation but i go well you know it's not unequivocally good that's just our opinion that it's good. There's uh, no true good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't want to be that guy at the party either. Yeah, I feel like that's good. I think, you know what? I think there should be a way to, like, express opinions like that without being, like, I think you can, like, people should and be able to. Neat Nietzschean psychopath. <laughs> yeah. Can, I think you can express that without being a monster. I think you can express. Um, it, it crushed this guy. Crushed him. He was really? like, no, come on. He's like, it's great. Yeah. It's like, it's like that part of the end of Vanilla Sky where Kurt Russell's crying out. I'm real. I'm uh, real. <laughs> he uh, he's a figment of Tom uh, Cruise's uh, imagination. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. Like, oh, poor Kurt. I'm sorry, Kurt. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. You're real. You're real. You're real. You're real. You're real. <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all good. But um, yeah, so their relationship builds and builds and builds mm. as we kind of get to know them. And we discover... Um, that his mom has like a secret talent and like oh, lots of secrets actually because we should, we should also mention her horn dog friend charles who shows in from san francisco every few weeks <laughs> who can't get enough of debbie <laughs> like <laughs> oh, and, man. and uh he he wants to he's like can we just lock albert brooks in his room <laughs> he's like very he's very adamant that yeah. he wants to make love this 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 uh the silver fox wants silver to fuck. Fox. Yeah. yeah and uh, this kind of blows john's mind but then the thing that really blows his mind is that he discovers in the bedroom um a whole bunch of manuscripts that his mom wrote when she was younger and it turns out his mom was a very talented writer mm-hmm. and this idea that his mom contains these multitudes and these regrets and this like basically like very selfishly because this is something that happens to everybody realizing your parents are real people and not just mom and dad right and that they have lived lives like that involve internal struggle and ups and downs and you know and sacrifices and fail and successes and failures and that's a it's and it's quite a moment and you kind of realize that she might even be a better writer than he is yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting i think like i think it's safe to say that this is like the most well-written um female lead in an albert brooks film yeah yeah i think like like, three-dimensional interest yeah yeah i think the only comparative is i think julie haggerty and um lost in america Mm -hmm. but she just her job is to match him in yes. a way, in neurotic insanity. But this, you know, Beatrice, Debbie Reynolds, like, lives a 
He's a three-dimensional character. I would almost say that, like, even just uh, in terms of character, because, like, the thing about a lot of these movie, uh, these Albert Brooks films is they're so, like, um, sparse in yeah. a certain way. Like, it really is usually just, like, Albert Brooks is the character, and then it's him, like, affecting the world or stuff affecting him. You know, the obse- the exception to that is probably Defending Your yeah. Life. That movie kind of is more traditional in the sense that, like, it has a rounded out supporting cast. It's a, but- yeah, it's a much bigger world, but per you know, you know, that was the entire idea Point. behind it was it yeah. was going to be a bigger, bigger scope. Exactly. But uh, this uh, but I think like, yeah, the, Debbie Reynolds, like there's like a depth to her that is kind of refreshing. That it's I, a terrific I, performance. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. It might be one of her best performances. She, yeah. And it, man, and it's like she did this like postcard. When was postcards from the edge? Probably like five years earlier. Was she in that? I don't know if she was in that one. Because this was oh, actually God, that was know, Shirley MacLaine. Of, Shirley um, my bad. Could have been my Debbie bad. Reynolds because it's written by Carrie Fisher. Yeah, that's why my years. brain. Yeah. All, hey, you know, if it was made in the eighties or nineties, these movies are all becoming the same damn movie. <laughs> uh, you know what? You know what? Uh, uh, wait, wasn't it Bill Nye? Yeah, Bill Nye. He is uh, Carrie Fisher's mom, wasn't it? No, no. Wrong again, Patrick. That's that. Oh, I don't know what he sounds like at all. <laughs> I don't know either. Oh, I was like, man. had to get a Connery zone there. Wrong again, Patrick. <laughs> I thought you were doing a phantasm. And oh, yeah, boy. Yeah, you, uh, you uh, guess a good cast, boy. I am the tall man from Phantasm. Oh, uh, hell yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> if only. That'd be so sick. Let's just, I want to be that when I grow up. That's like. And if you, if you want to hear us do a film by film bonus season of all the Phantasm movies, let us know via email. We were up for it. <laughs> that, okay. Best, best lead of a movie ever. Just like a weird, paunchy ice cream man becoming the. An absolute king. An absolute king. I love it. <laughs> He's so cool. It rules. He's the best. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like he becomes increasingly more like. Just it's so funny how by the end of it he's just like a weird schlubby guy and he's like the badass of this universe. It it slaps. Yeah, no, I and and he's like this big action hero, but he's a middle-aged balding guy with a ponytail who's an ice cream man who also <laughs> you know plays a main lead guitar. <laughs> you know? uh, God, yeah, what a good Don Don Cascarelli. Uh, man, what of one king. of one of our faves? A king, just a king. Yeah. <laughs> so interesting little um, casting tidbits on this one. So Albert Brooks wanted a famous actress from the 1950s to play his mom mm-hmm. in this movie. He originally offered the role to Nancy Reagan and Doris Day. Uh, Doris Day turned down the offer, and Nancy Reagan was gonna do it. Except wow. Ron Ronald Reagan, the president, uh, was suffering from Alzheimer's, so she wanted to take care of him. And but what a weird world that would have been Nancy Reagan coming out of retirement and coming out of being the first lady with her <laughs> psycho cipher husband. Deeply insane. <laughs> Albert um, Brooks is an odd man. That would have been I, just yeah. nutty. But I mean, God, you know what, though? Maybe he was like, like boy, I'd probably put 10 million more asses in the seats <laughs> just, just the, for that kind of like <laughs> stunt casting. That is true. What are like Nancy Reagan's? I'm just now I'm on her Wikipedia page looking at her like she was in uh, Donovan's brain. 
talk about it. Like, I don't know any of these films. That's so. It wasn't, she wasn't like a. I mean, she wasn't like not like Debbie Reynolds or Doris Day. Like, no, not, not a gigantic star. No. Um, but then so he asked his good friend, Carrie Fisher, if he could send the script to her mother who accepted mm-hmm. the part. And Debbie Reynolds hadn't had a starring role since the late 60s. Wow. Um, and interestingly enough, that was how um, Albert Brooks got Meryl Streep for Defending Your Life was at a party at Carrie Fisher's house because Meryl Streep and Carrie Fisher were like best friends. Wow. Okay, Carrie so, Fisher's kind of like the center of like, the universe. She's the nexus. She's the nexus of the Albert. Nexus. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, must have a, she must have a great resonator. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. She must have a great resonator. Her and yeah. like, uh, her. <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to think of like not not the one person I said that one time. I know. Uh, <laughs> not someone not someone who yeah, you are yeah. Glenn Close. Glenn Close yeah, is Glenn there. Close. Yeah. Obviously Glenn Close. Is I wanted to say Carl Stroiken, the guy who played Lurch. Well interestingly <laughs> enough, there was a Glenn Close was in the big chill and um you know one of the great resonators was in that house and the entire cast of the big chill. Oh yeah. That was the original ending was that they resonated and then Turned oh, into a big society esque <laughs> orgy. <laughs> just a giant uh, sentient fuck puddle. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. Cool. That it. was uh, Stuart Gordon's original pitch. <laughs> Lawrence Kazadan's too, interestingly. <laughs> yeah, that was actually the original name for uh, for the big chill was sentient fuck puddle. That was <laughs> oh, God, not as you know, not as marketable. Still, Lawrence Kazadan is still like Hollywood man. They just keep, are not allowing the artist to, to like really follow their muse with the yeah. film sentient fuck puddle yeah as he's like yeah resonating with uh <laughs> shane black and uh <laughs> george lucas is there <laughs> well a lot of people don't know ilm actually developed the first resonator yeah uh, the among many um many advances in effects well, uh, now perfected by weta <laughs> <laughs> yeah well the sentient fuck puddle that was actually the inspiration for job of the hut that yep. was a. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in an early early designs, you know, it was it was it had to be a little more, um, you know, a practical effect, but it was yeah. they 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 got the job done. Yeah, they got the done. Yeah, he's and actually... of course, um, you know, who was a sex slave to Jabba the Hutt, mm. Carrie Fisher. Bring That's this true. all back around. Segway. Boy. What is it? It's like I'm in a yeah. room with Doug Benson. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh my god! <laughs> like, how does he do it? How does he do it? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, a, a deeply enjoyable movie uh, gets the Jen Saunderson pick as her favorite Albert Brooks yeah, film, Mother. Fun film. Uh, very fun. Yeah, yeah good. super, super fun. Kind of just continues. He's um, five for five, if you ask yeah. me. Not five oh. for fighting, five for five. Oh, way better than five for fighting. Yeah, he yeah. crushes. He crushes it. He's not. Yeah, not a middling soft rock band. That uh, no. Yeah, comedic home runs is what we're talking about here. Oh yeah. And it's just every one of these, these feel like you get to feel like they like these like Ari Aster wrote in his essay in Defending Your Life, like not everyone knows about these, but once you are like in it, you kind of feel like you're in this like club with these like great gems that are like your own like these special movies that like and if you run into a fellow Albert Brooks fan, you could probably go on for hours just repeating some of the bits and kind of the moments from each of them. And I totally feel that way. Oh, 110%. Like, uh, uh, there's like a rhythm to every one of his films. And um, it's almost like, this is going to be a weird uh, comparison, but it's almost like, have you, have you ever read like the Sherlock Holmes short stories? Like, my grandpa would say this thing where like, he had a big book of Sherlock Holmes short stories. And 
once you read like half of them, you realize kind of like how the story is going to go and how it's kind of shaped and formed, and you, you get like all the little idiosyncrasies. And I feel like there's a little bit of that with like an Albert Brooks film where like once you're like acquainted with his character it's so much fun just kind of to be like oh man you know this is gonna be crazy like you know albert brooks is gonna have a a, a, a mild issue with this that he's gonna like totally blow out of proportion uh and it's yeah it's fun kind of just dropping this character into uh various situations and seeing how he flummoxes through it yeah no i i agree and i i you know there's something you said about you know the steven soderbergs of the world or these kind of chameleons who every time they come out what's he going to be up like what's he going to be up to this time but I, I i do like a lot of filmmakers who someone someone say kind of repeat themselves but i yeah. think it's just kind of like digging deeper into their handful of like pet themes so like um you know we you know say like wes anderson or mm-hmm. um maybe like uh noah bombach no yeah and i used to say like someone would be like what's your favorite Werner herzog movie i'm like i don't know all of them man they all kind of like melt yeah. together this like weird obsessive lunatic going into some jungle somewhere in the world yeah you know? <laughs> and yeah there's honestly a, there's a south korean filmmaker named hong sang su oh. i'm a gigantic fan of and he makes these like he makes like two or three movies a year they're all like between 75 and 85 minutes long they are always about a male artist, whether they're like a filmmaker or a novelist or a, or something of that extent, who gets into these like twists with relationships with women who he thinks he's smarter than, but we know by the end he's the doofus, oh, no. and he's he's gonna fall, he's gonna end up alone because she's gonna remain mysterious and completely ahead of and smell his game a mile away and he play and it's very clear that it's autobiographical because he's like a director (laughs) like it's like he's commenting on his own romantic travails and stuff like that and but he always does like he sets up the camera in the exact same spot he uses like digital zooms all the time to move the camera there's always a gigantic centerpiece scene where the characters go out to a bar and the actors are clearly really drinking and getting drunk as they're doing these like emotional moments Mm -hmm. and they become like this like meditation like each of them especially watch like two or three of his movies in a row because they're shorter and you're like just kind of in the zone of his like rhythms Mm -hmm. and then you know so he puts out this movie called hotel by the river two or three years ago and it opens with a handheld shot and it was like the the earth the axis shifted because he's Oh, it was like, why is he doing that? He's never done that before. <laughs> and it's just so like neat and exciting to watch like the tiny adjustments in like an artist's creative. Just like you see it in Albert Brooks's work too. Like he's not making gigantic, like outside of maybe defending your life, these other four, he's he's just kind of playing with the levels a right. little bit. And like, where does he want it to land? Is he going to end it in kind of a nastier way or is he going to end it in a sweeter way? You know, and kind of the what what's he deciding to kind of like riff on? Yeah, like not every yeah, not every uh, I feel like with film, like there's like this expectation where you have to recreate yourself every two or three years. And it's like, yeah. And, you know, not every band has to be Mr. Bungle. They don't have to like have like a totally new sound every moment. And I think that's like well, sometimes you got to just be satisfied when you're the Ramones. And yeah, you have 30 albums that sound exactly the same, but guess what? All 30 of them are awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? exactly. They, the, 
quality's there. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like the yeah. one song they wrote is good. So it's yeah. like, let's keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, like a- ACDC kind of does the same thing, but it's like, man, you hear an ACDC song on the radio, you're like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> uh, really quickly, can I ask you a question? Do you hear like dog barking on your end? No. Okay, good. Because I can, they're like my upstairs neighbor's dog is like uh, going wild. It is like driving me. Uh, I am going oh. to parody that dog. I think um, <laughs> this might be a good transition, and you might want to leave it in because you might want to throw that dog down the garbage chute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did see he's gonna. I did watch that movie, and I was like, ah, this is really this character's relatable all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. he's relatable all of a sudden. Yeah, nope, I, not I'm as on, much of, not as squirrely as you thought. <laughs> yeah, I'm on his side now, now. Although, man, that is like what an opening. We what should a, talk about two um, taglines on the posters here as we move on. Mother's okay. tagline: No one misunderstands you better Uh oh good one but (laughs) as good as it gets and i think this one's even better brace yourself for melvin jesus (laughs) ain't that the truth truth. (laughs) brace yourself for melvin oh man all right so we're moving on a mother gets an academy academy recommendation albert brooks five for five you know not five for fighting he's got it going on yeah he Uh, he has a hopefully he has a hundred years to live like and hopefully somebody like I don't know Netflix is like hey do you want to make a movie again yeah you know like, maybe he doesn't care maybe he's just like done he seems Honestly, like the kind of guy who also might be completely at peace just like any good whatever I got money yeah <laughs> it's like happy. I got a family you know I do the- I'll drop in and do weird supporting roles yeah honest- I- I'm directing modern romance for a moment. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. It's, I the, guy, do it's it. the guy from Five for Fighting. <laughs> yeah, it's Mr. Fighting himself. It's fighting. It's John Fighting. <laughs> ah, get out of here, John. Bruce Fighting is here. <laughs> Bruce Fighting. Get out of here, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> is there this they had another one, right? I don't even remember. Hey, who knows? Who but knows? um who knows? We're, we're catching up now with uh James L. Brooks. Um yeah. as we all know from last episode, he's he you know he t- he took a few punches. Mm-hmm. For maybe for the first time in his career, he took a few punches um on all do anything. Not a not a success by yeah. any means. No. Uh, critically, financially, it just, yeah, nothing happened. Uh, so, in the meantime, so we have to, we're going to jump from I'll Do Anything in 94 to 97s as good as it gets. Uh, big 1996, he had his name on two films, two very important films from two different ways. Uh, as a producer, uh, Jerry Maguire, which massive, mega, you know, We'll, we'll probably cover it at some point. It sounds like it's right. It is right down the Academy Academy wheelhouse kind of movie. Yeah, 100%. And the debut film from Wes Anderson, uh, Bought a Rocket, mm-hmm. uh, which he and Polly Platt shepherded them in. And I don't know if you noticed in the credits, as good as it gets, um, associate producer Owen Wilson. In the, wow. uh, and it was apparently Owen Wilson's actual first released credit. <laughs> like, uh, how did- and... Um, yeah, you know, Brooks guess- loved. He called them the boys, and uh, he loved he loved Wes and the two Wilson brothers <laughs> dearly. Interesting. Yeah, I forget that. Like in the beginning of Owen Wilson's career, he had like you know screenplays written. Like he was way more. It's kind of like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Like they were writing and stuff. 
which I, yeah, yeah i think it's both it's more lucrative to be a movie star Perhaps. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he just has the he has the chops for it. He he's a he's a fine comedic actor. I'm a big fan, and we we'll actually be uh, revisiting him in a few weeks with How Do You Know. Mm. He returns to the James L. Brooks fold. Oh so, man! <laughs> but yeah, so he starts working on As Good as It Gets. Timeline here. I'll do anything. Came out in '94. As Good as It Gets '97. So actually, for James L. Brooks, at least, not a huge number of years between the films i have a feeling he was kind of um i don't think he gets successful let's say like i if 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 critic if i had made all do anything and the critics came after me i would probably like dig a hole and live there for six years <laughs> like, yeah oh totally came after him for that one <laughs> like i would be depressed uh it seems like when you're as successful as james l brooks you know you get up and you take another swing and it'll be as um as good as it gets as we mentioned before, directed, produced, and written by James L. Brooks, written with uh, Mark Andrus, and it sounds like Mark Andrus wrote the original script, and James L. Brooks kind of came in and um, tweaked it yep. a bit, as you know these big time writer directors do. There, there are some Brooksian elements. There uh, definitely are. Yeah, uh, budgeted at fifty million, made three hundred and fourteen million dollars. Insane! That's insane. Imagine that today. A movie about nothing centered on an asshole and $300 million that every one of your parents loved, like truly loved this movie. Oh, this is like, and people like have warm feelings about this movie. They think really it's do. like a crowd, ple- like this is, this was this a crowd pleaser. Major, major crowd pleaser. Um, stars, of course, Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. Helen Hunt, Greg Kinnear, Cuba Gooding Jr., Skeet Ulrich. Shirley Knight, and a variety of fascinating cameo appearances from people like Lawrence Kasdan, Shane Black, Harold Ramis, like all sorts of like people, like probably like writing buddies of James L. Brooks. This is the only, you know, and I mean, Harold Ramis, of course, you know, put in a lot of good comedic performances, but and Shane Black is in Predator. Which is cool, but um, yeah. but Lawrence Kasdan not known as an actor by any means, but he's in it. Oh yeah, I mean, and even like, uh, there's like so many. Like I saw the guy from The Wire, the guy who plays uh, Barksdale. Like Wood Harris is in it for a little bit. Missy- Maya Rudolph is in it briefly. It's just yeah, all these like like uh, kind of names that will become bigger. It's a weird. There's a, this is definitely one of those. Uh, uh, oh, it's that guy movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, it, it it it's yeah, it's just this is the, and it made um, as we said, it made three hundred fourteen million dollars. Uh, has an eighty five percent Rotten Tomatoes consensus. James L. Brooks and Jack Nicholson doing what they do best: combine smart dialogue and flawless acting to squeeze fresh entertainment value out of the romantic comedy genre. This film was nominated for seven Academy Awards. Best Original Score, Best Film Editing, Best Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor, Greg Kinnear, Best Actress, Helen Hunt, Best Actor, Jack Nicholson, and Best Picture. It won two. Jack Nicholson won for Best Actor. Helen Hunt won for Best Actress. Um, As I mentioned last episode, this was my first watch 
on as good as it gets. Wow. Somehow I missed this in 1997. See, I, I've watched this movie maybe like three times on TNT when I was like 12 or like 11. Like for some reason I had these like memories of like, ah, oh, this is a classic and I'd watch this with mom and dad. Yeah, no, it, it has like Shawshank Redemption, like TNT dad. Oh, watch kind of vibes. Yeah. Well, like feels very like yeah like <laughs> moderate democratic fathers love this movie oh yeah this is a centrist movie this yeah, is 100 yeah. percent. this is like we're reconciling like look we can get the evil racist man to shake hands with the the tortured gay artist and look they're friends now it's great mm, and maybe and maybe the torch and maybe the homophobic racist uh, shut in. Yeah, he, he might deserve love too with just a hard working Brooklyn single mom. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, hey, even even who's got, he's got a mysterious case of asthma. Yeah. Comes from the same disease as uh, Danny Collins' granddaughter. <laughs> this is a proto Danny Collins. This is the missing link between Danny Collins and Scent of a Woman. Yeah, yeah, I, I I would say that the guy who did Danny Collins probably thinks this is a um really good movie. Oh I would, man, I would because yeah. this seems like a definite influence on Danny. Yeah, uh, our, our old friend Danny Collins. Yeah, uh, and and it is like man, we gotta tell them how this movie starts because okay, it is like well, it's out the gate. Yeah, so Jack Nicholson is he is uh he's jacking it up. <laughs> it is such a he's just this is a scent of a woman role this is like yeah. i'm 100 like this is just him doing his like firing in all cylinders and his like move this is the kind of movie star i am yeah in a way and and i actually though i don't believe i think you need someone as charming and mm-hmm. fun as jack nicholson to play this role or else yeah. it gets grim really really fast he gets away with it he can get yeah. away with some of it like maybe not all not, of it nowadays but at least yeah if, yeah depending on your yeah we'll, we'll talk we'll, we'll i would talk like to it. talk about on some of the broader social issues of the film in a moment <laughs> here, in a moment here but jack plays melvin udall he's a best-selling romance novelist who has obsessive compulsive disorder mm-hmm. um and he's also misanthropic homophobic racist and the movie opens with him trying to lure a lovely little dog. Yeah. Pick, pick up the dog and promptly drop them down the garbage chute of his uh, Manhattan apartment. Uh, wonderful way to get to know Melvin and kind of all of Melvin's, yeah. <laughs> Melvin's style. This, this is shtick. It is like, because I, I, didn't, I didn't remember that part watching it. And seeing that, I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, it, it was very funny too because I was watching it with with the baby, and she saw the close up of the dog, and you could see her eyes like light up. And I'm like, I know, because that's how regular people behave when they see a cute dog. Like, yeah. By the way, what's the great movie dogs? I forgot how good know, this dog terrific, is. Terrific movie dog. No <laughs> like, question about that. Yeah, and just plopped into a dumpster. So, in the dumpster. <laughs> we we quickly find out that the dog belongs to his neighbor, who's yeah. um, Greg Kinnear, who's playing Simon, mm-hmm. who is a uh, painter. Mm-hmm. You know, interesting thing about movie painters. Whenever you see what they're doing, you're like. I don't know if you're that interesting. Yeah. <laughs> like an artist. Like he's an interesting man. <laughs> yeah. All that kind no, of I feel you. Yeah, like the actual art itself is like. Uh, like after I you paint Skeeto, Rick, you're like, this is like hotel art, my man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> like, yeah. it's It doesn't have like, uh, yeah, they need to meet Joe Black so they can get some good art. 
yeah yeah like have joe black bring over a jar of peanut butter and we can talk yeah. this over a little bit talk this over yeah go to anthony hopkins crazy mansion where he has just all these insane that is like hello i think brad pitt would show up and want to beat up skeet ulrich for stealing some of his shtick from the that 90s is- <laughs> <laughs> not that doesn't he say that in the movie what was yeah. like, oh i'm like brad pitt or yeah also it's like- it's- where is there just like a street corner where local toughs but who are also models yeah, and may, maybe gigolos. Like, it's very weird. Very. Oh, it's bizarre. You're bringing yeah. it all back. It's It was like a fever dream, that entire sequence. Yeah, one of them looked like the fucking Bill Paxton in the original Terminator. Like One that. of them was uh, Jamie Kennedy. We oh, forgot to mention yeah. he's, he's in the mix. Oh, uh, uh, man, one of his greatest performances. So, and it's Simon's dog, and he loves the dog dearly. And, yeah, and dog as survives. We know, um, Simon's my favorite character. Yeah, in the movie. Nice. He's, he's wonderful. He's, actually, he's got a great arc. Yeah, he's empathetic. Like you yeah. care, and he's also like uh, played with like a vulnerability that uh, it takes Jack Nicholson a very long time to get to that point for his character. Like he eventually shows it too, but like I feel like yeah, Greg Kinnear is such an open, uh, has such an open heart throughout this film, and he's just tender in a way that uh, you, you need someone like him in the movie. He's like. Uh, he, he kind of makes for, yeah. for, for 1997, he plays the character with great empathy and respect. Yeah. And he There's does like, not delve into any stereotypical mm-hmm. kind of things that in 1997 was a very popular choice if you were playing a character. Yeah. Like it, this. It could have been it could have been way more it could uh, have been broad. <laughs> yeah, broad and offensive, but in turn he's actually a real guy. Yeah. Like a full formed real guy in this movie. And a uh, big credit to Kinnear for pulling that out of the script and really like there's just so there's a lot of beauty to what he's doing his like the things he cares about you can tell he really really cares about when he gets hurt you really feel he's hurt like it's it's pretty it's especially when facing like nicholson's character who's quite broad all things considered um and even helen hunt's character is pretty Oh, she's brought to. And then, Fraud. like, well, and Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character is like, it's funny because Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character isn't necessarily like, you know, offes- offensive in the traditional sense. It's just like, and just, just weird. It's just a weird, it's just ever, it's just a weird. Although I guess it, maybe it is offensive in the traditional sense. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? But, yeah. <laughs> let's, so, let's just, yeah. <laughs> so simultaneously, as Melvin is doing battle with Simon over their little, Simon's wonderful little dog yeah oh yeah i see i would like simon melvin you gotta move out man you can't throw people's pets down the that's like that's that's on you melvin that's not simon's fault and uh so simultaneously melvin because he has to do you know he's on a very specific schedule he goes to eat an insane breakfast yeah, huge, <laughs> huge, insane breakfast. <laughs> Fucking Shrek breakfast, crazy. At, uh, at Frankie and Johnny's diner. <laughs> where, yeah. where, yeah. <laughs> it is. It's the same. Same place. Michelle Pfeiffer's still working there. Somewhere. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer and Al Pacino's in the kitchen, like yeah. between stickball games. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Hector but, uh, Elizondo is screaming at someone. Hector Elizondo passed on management to Shane Black. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, you bet Netta is pissed. She thought she thought she thought it was gonna be her time to shine. This was gonna no. become Netta's diner. Shane Black is just trying to hoist like obscure noir novels on her. <laughs> like this could make a movie. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh 
Uh, and where we meet the third character, though, at this diner, um, working Michelle Pfeiffer shift, Helen Hunt as Carol. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, I feel like this trope has kind of like died out. Like the, the, the working mom at the diner. Like you don't yeah. see that as much in films anymore, which is kind of a shame. Well, I mean, because they don't make movies about the working class. That is true. That is like, and they yeah. can't where they can't afford to live in Brooklyn anyway. That is God grim. Grim, yeah, hell, grim. we're in hell. Grim. Yeah, yeah, grim. It's grim. <laughs> yeah, everything's bad. <laughs> that, that diner is now an urban outfitters, by the way. <laughs> oh, Netta, oh, poor Netta. Netta lives yeah. in like Yonkers now. She's like, well, I mean, sadly, Netta was forgotten about by Cuomo. <laughs> yeah, uh, ju- hashtag justice for Netta. Yeah, I know. Jeez. Um, but yeah, so, and we would say like, okay, so Jack has met Carol. The like a lot of women in the movies we review, unfortunately, endlessly patient. Mm. <laughs> Just another uh, character. Great movie, character trait. Another character within five minutes should have just walked away from this yeah, asshole. <laughs> honestly, it is uh, her arc is insane. And she she won best. And she's like, okay, look, it's she's a, good, a great she, actor. She's good performance. She's a great performance. And and you know what? The character is written insane. It's not Helen Hunt. And she plays it as real as you can play a character. Because, yeah. like, yeah, it's like. Well, oh, she's pulling more. She's making this, making it sing because yeah. it's. A, I don't think it's there on the page no. in the same way. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, just to let it be known, not nominated this year, Pam Greer, Jackie Brown came out the same year and uh, we all know who should who should have yeah who should have won that academy Fucked award up. yeah that's <laughs> like just justice for jackie brown justice yeah, for, justice Netta, for justice jackie, jackie brown, brown. <laughs> yeah. oh god yeah it's uh, jackie like, brown uh unequ- a more enjoyable movie than as good as it gets oh yeah like oh god like in, i'd rather i want to see we that the world's weirdest beard on samuel jackson any yeah. day of the week before uh yeah because like yeah you're introduced to melvin in this restaurant and he like the first thing he says to helen hunt too is like there there's jews at my table it's like they uh got peter jacobson who bless his heart like i both love both of you. them on house both of yeah. both of them went on to be on the television series house oh oh yeah the other ladies the oh my <laughs> god that's, yeah. that is so funny that is so funny a show i was uh hey this is a t- network television corner yeah. um, <laughs> show I was inordinately kind of obsessed with when it was on the air. A I show love- that I don't think I would have like before it was on cared about a show like that or after it was on. But when it was on, I was like, yeah, I really think I found this house guy just endlessly fascinating. <laughs> this guy's a bit of a jerk, but he's I can't. A, he's a dick, damn genius. Too. Yeah, <laughs> he's <laughs> irascible, but it's relatable. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, I was looking at Greg Kinnear's filmography and he did a TV show like two years later called Rake, which is he was like a genius. <laughs> he was like a genius as well, but he was an asshole. It was like, I oh, love- it was just a house spinoff, basically. Yeah, I love all these. Well, there's another one called like Bull, too. Was that one in Rain Wilson did one? Where he was like, um, oh, so that's that's right like, after the office. What was it called? It's not Baxter. It's, it's uh, like, boy, he's a dick, but you gotta love him. Gotta love the baby. Oh. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. We can we can pull this up. This is important. But it, there is like a massive trope, though, of like the esteemed supporting actor getting a job on television, like their first leading role. They're always a genius. 
who's a bit of a prick, mm-hmm. but they're so good at their job that it doesn't matter. Backstrom. The one that Rain Wilson was on, Backstrom. Yeah, Backstrom. Backstrom. Where he, like, did, he was Detective Everett Backstrom. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. Jen just said in the background, sure. <laughs> here we go. I just want to really quickly, uh, Rain Wilson as Detective Lieutenant Everett Backstrom, head of the Special Crimes Unit. Prior to the beginning of the series, Backstrom was demoted to traffic following his racially yep. insensitive outburst oh, after God. he caught the murderer of six Native Americans. Backstrom, <laughs> you're like a regular Melvin Udall. <laughs> yeah, Backstrom, you can't Udall. It's, 2000, it's 2015, bro. You can't Udall. You know. You can't you know, bro? That's not endearing anymore. That's not endearing. It's it's just racist now. Yeah, you're racist. It's no longer endearing. I guess we could get it. I guess we could get into that aspect of this movie. Is um, it's really it's difficult because. They're, I, I don't like referring to movies as dated. I, I like the idea of like they're like these like time capsules of a yeah. moment or something like that. And I don't like to sit like to criticize a movie just because it like doesn't hold up to our times or whatever. I think it's yeah. like, try and look at it in the moment or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it is a very interesting thing that this Udall character even in 1997 which doesn't seem that long ago. <laughs> I guess it kind of yeah. is. But um you know, he's introduced and the part where he is anti-Semitic too is like, he's already been homophobic and racist. Oh, hugely. Like he's like, <laughs> like it's kind of nuts. And I remember watching that part when I was a kid and being like, that's kind of fun. It's weird. Cause I'm Jewish too. I'm Jewish, but like, but I remember watching that and not having a problem with it. It's so weird. Like back, even like at the just times have changed. I don't change. know. And I, 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 and I don't, and I actually think like, I don't, I think people can get better. Oh, duh. I think people yeah. can change. Like, and some people don't think that some people believe. And, you know, frankly, if you've been <laughs> abused by the Melvin Udalls of the world over and over again, I don't see forgiveness. I oh, think forgiveness yeah. is hard to get to as 100%. well. 100%. Like, yeah, no, like, like, uh, you know, like, yeah, the, 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 yeah, 100%. I agree with you. That's all I have to say. <laughs> but uh, it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, but it's interesting. Yeah. It is interesting to see that he gets like a full redemption. Yeah. I think it's like, I think for me, it's not even the full redemption because I'm fine with redemption. I think like, the, I, because I, I want there, like, there's, there should be like redemption. Like people should be able to, especially when like it's just you're an asshole. If that's like your big sin, is you're just an ass. And he and he's a horrible person in this movie. Like uh, don't get me wrong. Like there is a part of me, and there is a part of me too that's like just for like throwing a dog down a trash chute. Like you know yeah. that's almost enough to be irredeemable for me. Just because that's like a horrible. You know the dog survives. Everything's fine. But uh, but uh, uh yeah. But I think it's just it, it is kind of crazy that he gets like. Not only does he get the girl, but the girl is half his age. It is like... Well, I think that, the, yeah, I think the the romance was the thing I bought the least. Yeah, that the is like movie. insane. Yeah, it's totally, yeah, nuts. There was a part where, um, at the end, where he kind of goes to her apartment after Greg Kinnear kind of is like, you gotta go get the girl. And now Greg Kinnear is gone from being a wonderfully, like... Um, 
fully dimensional character to being Jack Nicholson's sidekick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By that point, which is, you know, I, we want to see Greg Kinnear find love. We don't care about Jack, really. <laughs> that is honestly, like, that'd be so much more interesting because, like, what happens in this movie to Greg Kinnear, um, uh, you know, we spoil stuff all the time. At this point, just assume yeah, we're go always... For go for it. We're like, uh, like, he gets, like, so he has Skeet Ulrich come in as one of his, like, he's like the street urchin, basically, and he gets him, you know, he's taken off the street by, like, one uh, of, like... He's, he's street, street urchin slash male model. Yeah, yeah, just a street hunk. Like, one of the, you know, you know how New York just has these, like, roaming street hunks? He's, like, one of the roaming street hunks Yeah, the, the roving gangs of street hunks. <laughs> yeah, just, 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 a, yeah, roaming street himbo. Skeet Ulrich, yeah. like, and, um... You know, he uh, gets a model job from uh, 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 from almost called Simon as good as it gets. Uh, Mr. As good as it gets himself, Simon. Um, he gets like, a, you know, he becomes his like muse or whatever for a few mo- uh, for a few scenes. But then uh, uh, it turns out the other street hunks. Uh, led it's a ruse. By, it's a yeah, damn ruse. It's a, a classic street hunk ruse. An yeah. SHR. Jeez, uh, happens all the time. Oh, oh, man, I can't tell the other day. Uh, Freaking uh, Lucas Hedges and uh, three other up and coming actors came into my house and just beat the shit out of me. <laughs> beat the crap out of you. Yeah, I wasn't even drawing them. They just <laughs> well, no, you invited Lucas Hedges over to collaborate on a piano concerto. He yeah, plays, I, he plays violin, classical violin, and yeah. turned out it was a big ruse. <laughs> you were getting robbed at the same yeah. time. <laughs> I saw. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. I saw Pete Davidson in the corner going yo. And oh, I was no. like, oh, no, this isn't good. Oh, boy. Uh, man. Our, our, our street hunks have gone down in quality if it's Lucas Hedges and Pete Davidson. I yeah, I know. Well, they're, you know, <laughs> they're fine. They're fine. In, in Biden's America? <laughs> oh, man. In Biden's America. Remember back when Clinton was in office and uh, the hunks were really uh, hunks? Yeah, boy, the high times of the 90s when the hunks were, when the hunks were hunks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's going to be the thing. We're compl- no, where, where did my hunks go? <laughs> well, you could practically though picture Trump saying that the guys they're not hunks anymore. <laughs> yeah, where are the himbos? There's no himbos anymore. You know, we're Stallone. We don't have any Stallones. Yeah, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet, take HGH. Yeah. My <laughs> God. Well, anyway. <laughs> uh, I don't even know. So, so they rob Greg Kinnear, and actually, quite scary. They. They really beat him up. It's and brutal. It's pretty. It's surprisingly brutal, and this leads to Jack Nicholson with no other options. First, and kind of an example of maybe how sad and lonely Simon's life is. That Jack Nicholson is the only option to watch the dog while Greg Kinnear recovers, and the dog is the key to Jack Nicholson's um, transformation to being a guy who can accept love and people into his life and i think that that gets to something that i think the message of the movie about this like human connection is important and you can find friendship anywhere and kind of surrogate families it's all really neat stuff mm-hmm. and i think that that's why the movie's sweet and it feels like it works and you kind of like care about where these people end up at the end but i think the way that it goes about like showing that is a bit surfacy and easy in the shifts. And one thing I did want to bring up at the end when he goes to get the girl, um, her mom, who's played by Shirley Knight, comes out and says, what's all this racket? 
Uh, Shirley yeah. Knight was a year older than Jack Nicholson. I was, I, <laughs> I looked that up too. Well, yeah. and also here's a fun fact too. You know that <laughs> Betty White was offered the Shirley Knight role? <laughs> and said, no, it, thanks. Yeah. She was like, nope, nope, nope. Uh-uh. Well, it, it was because they, uh, threw the, she didn't like the dog being mistreated. That was her one reason. She was oh, like, really? Yeah. She was like, uh, no, good on Betty White. Yeah. She was like, nah, nah, nah. I want the no, no dog. Yeah. But it, it should be. In a just world, it would be a movie about Shirley Knight and Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that the ending should have been about, like, I think Carol, Helen Hunt, should have said, I will be your friend. Yes! That's totally fine! But be your friend. And then they could still go out for pastries. Yes! You could could legit have the exact same movie, almost. It would have been really sweet, actually, for just... Like the door isn't completely open to him to have like this great romance. It's just the door is open to him to have a connection. That uh, and that like it isn't this gigantic change and this gigantic shift in his persona. It's just a incremental one that he's a little bit better by the yeah. time the movie's over. It, and you know, and I think they do a good job of like I think Jack Nicholson plays uh, the plays that character enough where like like he is like a deeply wounded broken man and there is like this implication throughout the film that like and they do a good job of kind of like easing you into like making it believable that this person can like if given the right uh like stimulations i guess given the right stimulations but also discovers that they want to take those steps no matter how hard they are like that's that's good stuff it's yeah. just it's it is difficult and it's a, and i i have a feeling a lot of modern audiences if you haven't seen this movie before would just be taken out by the first 20 minutes it just wouldn't it's just irredeemable oh yeah basically. totally he's like he like he says some like just like nasty stuff, nasty he's, stuff. yeah he's like nasty not a stuff. yeah he is like not a good guy and it is like this thing where like uh yeah, it could be like it's it's yeah, it's believably a tough pill for a bunch of people to swallow. And yet yeah. this movie has like a, a a crazy like I feel like people whenever I've heard about this movie in conversation, yep. people are usually like, "Oh, I love that movie." Yeah, that they find it very moving. And I think it's just kind of at that time in 97 when you want because it is all people who saw it in 97, I think. Mm-hmm. And like among the 314 million dollars that it made i mean just this was a massive success and um i have a feeling like they're they thought of melvin's things as interesting character quirks rather than damnable human traits (laughs) that is honestly like a very astute i think this is like yeah this is back when like you could like position racism as almost like a wacky like yeah get a load of this kooky oddball he's a racist or like yeah he's a yeah it's like uh they're you know bad at bowling <laughs> you know exactly it's comparable to that or something yeah well, i mean yeah and it's like it's like all in the family type stuff where like yeah, yeah he's oh, like oh one percent yeah i mean it's still like and that gets to another thought i had thank you for bringing that up um <laughs> it's very sitcom-y the yes. entire thing is very um, yeah. It just and I think it also sitcommy in that it's situational rather than having like an overarching plot or mm-hmm. story that's driving it. It's just these characters kind of 
like, oh, here's the episode where they drive to Baltimore together. Yeah, <laughs> uh, totally. It's like, yeah, here's the episode where they drive to the, uh, the, uh, the Baltimore together. Here's the episode where Melvin befriends the dog. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very, like, um, situational. And, uh, yeah, there's no, it feels like there really is not an overarching plot. Which kind of goes back to all the anything, frankly. Yeah. Um, and is it disappointing? in the wake of Terms of Endearment and Broadcast News. It's such a bummer because Terms of Endearment is does such a good... Because you can tell he's going for that Terms of Endearment heartstring pull, yep. too. And there are times where it works. I think, like, mm-hmm. yeah. um, everything involving Simon pretty much... Um, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, even, like, the part, like, oh, man, the part where um, Greg Kinnear is talking about his father and, like, his father giving him like sweaty, like his hand is sweaty with the cash and his father is like paying him to leave. It's so like, you really feel for him. That's like a tear jerky. That, that almost... like little moments where like Jack Nicholson does up the room for him. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. It's really sweet. Like a very sweet moment of like, and you almost don't need any dialogue there. And they do some dialogue after that kind of hurts. It. It's just like, uh, this yeah. idea, like Jack has learned enough. He doesn't know how to say it yet, but he like, can show that that's, he cares about someone that's like actually my favorite moments with that character is when he does he does that like in the he does stuff like that in the coffee shop too where like like um or the frankie where like he um doesn't know what to say and it's all just facial yeah and him just trying to like you know uh oh he's hoping that uh helen will take it the proper is it her character named julie i can't remember Carol. Carol, Carol, God, I can't even remember. Frankie. Frankie. It's Netta, it's Netta. When, Netta. Uh, yeah, when uh, Netta takes the, no, but when uh, her, when Helen, uh, you know, he's hoping that she will, like, respond to his action the way that, she, uh, that is beneficial. Like, because he, he, he seems truly lost as someone who's trying to, he doesn't know, he just, he truly doesn't have the skills to communicate properly. And it's, yeah. And I think that, I think that that might be the, the issue with the, one of the issues with the film is that there's so many good elements. I, I, I was feeling like more complicated emotions about this movie than pretty much anyone I think we've watched over mm-hmm. the course of our run. Cause it's like the good stuff really works in this movie but there's just it's got some hang-ups that just kind of just don't get it over the top for me yeah i'm i'm with you i'm 100 percent with you it is kind of um and it's a bummer because like i wanted this movie to be like a pleasant like uh like oh it's as good as i remember it being yeah. it's as good as it gets and like it is like a and um it's an interesting i do agree like to the extent that it is like this you know piece of uh history like it is like this like interesting um you know, snap. This is this interesting, uh, you know, piece of this interesting artifact that demonstrates what was like popular in the late nineties. Like it is like fun from that, like anthropological perspective. Like this yeah. is, yeah, this is like, this is what audiences craved, I guess. The true crowd pleaser. And it's, I think it's just, um, it's also, we should note it's 140 minutes long. Which, again, like terms of endearment earns that. Cause it's like, 30 years in the life of these two women. And then it ends, you know, the last 30 minutes or so of the movie is like high wire tragedy is happening. And I mean, I guess if like, yeah, I don't know, like, because Terms of Endearment is kind of a hangout movie until she announces she has cancer and then it takes it up, like totally ratchet up the entire thing. Insane. Yeah. It goes. Yeah. 
But I, I was also thinking about the end of broadcast news, though, where they, nobody ends up together. Mm-hmm. And that's like exactly what we were talking about at the end of this. It's like nobody should end up together. They should just have peace with each other. Yes! That would be so great if this movie ended with like a 10 years later. So, and it's just like, it's the gang like sitting together at the diner, like talking yeah. about their lives with each other. Like, She's working there, but her and Melvin are not together. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's just kind of, and how's the boy? They all care about how her boy's doing, you know, and just kind of slice of life kind of oh, thing man. rather than like, yeah, just the, and kind of the romantic stuff just, and I think it, I mean, a huge part of it does come like Melvin's, how how redeemable you think melvin should be and then also the fact that jack nicholson is so good he's such a charismatic actor but he's just way too old yeah. to be any any level of believable love interest with it's, helen hunt it's beyond weird it's just a weird uh it is just like uh and it's like i guess it is like part of it too it's just like it's jack nicholson and so i think people like think he can get away you know i don't you know you need it you need a giant star to pull yes. off this kind of thing. So I got a question for you. Someone who is Helen Hunt is a, was born in the I think mid 60s mm-hmm. or early mid to early 60s. Who is an age appropriate oh. movie star mm-hmm. who you think could have played Melvin with the same kind of panache that Jack Nicholson brings to it but in a more believable romantic kind of way. That's difficult. That is a, that's hard. I'm trying to think because Jack Nicholson is a, he's a very, he can get away with a lot of stuff because he's like a bit of a scoundrel. He has that energy. He's, he's a lovable scoundrel. I don't know. um, Jen just piped in Jeff Bridges. Maybe. Um, And I got two picks. Okay. Hit me. So the first one I thought of, and this guy's a little bit grimmer. We might have a darker film. (laughs) <laughs> um, but he is age appropriate is uh, Sean Penn I thought would be very interesting in the part I think that would either be really good or one of a the disaster. worst movies yeah like yeah, I am a Sam total Lovell. disaster just like yeah. total like yeah because he would like uh, uh, man and then my other guy Academy Academy favorite not as big of a movie star but I think he's got it mm-hmm. Bill Paxton hmm. he would be a lot of fun in this role I think I think he would actually bring like a level of vulnerability that would be fascinating because he can like mm-hmm. be a slime ball and then on the uh, a uh, a turn of a dime or whatever like he can just like uh, go from slime ball to oh please I'll do whatever you want he'll do like the he'll he'll recreate the MacGruber I'll fuck you wherever scene yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean which I guess you know the MacGruber that scene is the I got a little dick it's pathetic that it's is a hundred percent yeah that's so funny hey. Bill Paxton's influence felt everywhere. Yep, he he, he continues. Yeah, continues everywhere. He's a king and a legend. He resonates. Uh, he resonates through the universe. Another um, great. Another guy just popped in my head, which is a really weird one. Uh, Steve Buscemi. That would be fun. <laughs> I would love to watch that movie. Much 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 tinier film. Yeah, they probably are not getting fifty million dollars on their budget for Steve no. Buscemi to be looking up to the clouds with his sunglasses on. Brace yourself for Steve. <laughs> yeah, brace yourself for Steve. Uh, I'm trying to think of like how old is. I feel like Robin Williams might even be too old. Yeah, but he would have been seventy this uh, year if he was alive. Okay, so maybe he's like ten years because like I, I feel like Robin Williams maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean he, Jack Nicholson's old enough to be her dad. 
Oh, it's yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, that Jack Nicholson is and is like, yeah, it's crazy that they're it's a I don't even understand why the movie thinks it's a good idea. But uh, I'm trying you to need you, uh, you need you need somebody like him. though. It's the problem. It's like, yeah, you need, like to put it over the top. You need a big gun. Mm-hmm. But well, and you need. Yeah. And he's just like he hates. He's like the one actor in that time that has that like specific energy that can there's just not a lot of, you know what here's a crazy one uh and it would be different like you'd have to do some stuff differently denzel washington that's interesting i would be like a weird yeah. it'd be like a very obviously but you could oh duh nicholas cage oh nicholas cage duh, yeah. i'm a yeah. ding dong yeah. there, there we is. go there duh. nicholas cage right. yeah yeah done, <laughs> done. and he and i actually think in 97 cage was a big enough star yeah to get this part come here like yeah he's, he got his oscar from this would be his second oscar man and you yep. can see um, his face doing that like that like the the, the classic yep. up in the sky yeah. with the sunglasses <laughs> yeah. yeah um so uh we mentioned before we have an email address somebody get us james l brooks's email we're yes. gonna do a little bit of the christopher Plummer move here and we're gonna be some two, we're gonna cgi nicholas cage in to yes. as good as it gets we're gonna oh. we're gonna get 26 years later we're getting it right yeah <laughs> this is like the this is the yeah this is our francis for coppola this is our godfather part three yep. <laughs> it's gonna have an just intro the, as good as it gets coda the death of melvin udall <laughs> it should just end with him dying it should yes <laughs> yeah i mean yeah he learns no he he learns his lesson that he shouldn't be racist and homophobic and then he's promptly blasted by two taxi cabs like joe black (laughs) (laughs) and then and then and then melvin wakes up with like you know the devil or the grim reaper in his body and the grim reaper's like fuck i'm stuck in this body yeah he goes to visit uh anthony hawkins we're, we're about the same age right yeah uh i like the idea of the grim reaper just doing that every time he wants peanut butter like he's just like oh, no, man, no. i got a taste for it i got a taste of the peanut butter gotta, i'm a junkie yeah i gotta like gotta find another guy to get hit by two cars but you know one thing i wanted to know too that um interesting thing i guess that um brooks and uh nicholson really clashed on set on this one really? and they had actually had to shut down production so they could like leave the room and talk it over because they were they the tone of melvin was very difficult to reach that was in a satisfying way to both guys wow and by 97 i mean who's saying no to jack nicholson and who's saying no to james l brooks so they're button heads in a yeah, big way <laughs> that is like a, i'd love to see the version uh what's that movie or that tv show feud like i'd love to see yeah. feud nicholson versus james l brooks <laughs> there would be two viewers patrick and don yeah 100 percent. hey you know what that uh, works for me works for me so uh this came out in 97 pretty big year uh, obviously that was the year of titanic also goodwill hunting LA Confidential, uh, Jackie Brown, uh, Boogie Nights, um, the uh, and Donnie Brasco, uh, old Academy Academy favorite. So a lot of top of the line movies came out this year. It was and Brooks was not nominated for best director. Mm-hmm. In, in, much like Broadcast News, it's like his direction is so it kind of feels a little invisible. Although Broadcast News, I thought he did. I thought he was pretty. Pretty top of the line. This one, little little every man, yeah, <laughs> but, little, but no yeah. nobody was beating our uh, the big dog Jim Cameron 
this year anyway mm-hmm. for that job for that for that one but yeah it's it's an interesting movie um i don't think i think again i i think that its heart is really in the right place mm-hmm. i think it's trying to say something very sweet i think that just over time a lot of the stuff that it saw as quirky or perhaps interesting or provocative is now just a little long in the tooth. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm with you. And to the point of probably if you showed this to someone who was, you know, a city dwelling 22 year old right now who'd never heard of it. Yeah. Uh, they probably would legitimately hate this movie oh yeah no my sister uh, would turn this movie off probably after the dog is thrown in the <laughs> thrown in the trash like my, yeah yeah my uh my millennial zoomer cusp sister yeah i think um you know i mean because those facts along with the it's relatively plotless and 140 minutes long yeah and that is like yeah, it's meandering. It's a very like, and so like, if you're gonna have a movie like this where it's meandering and sort of shapeless, uh, you have to have characters that are uh, you want to hang out with and learn about. And, uh, and yeah, partially. Yeah. You may have wanted to do that in 1997, but in 2021, it a little <laughs> bit more difficult. Yeah, it's a bit more, a bit more of it's, a slog. It's better than I'll do anything. Oh, a hundred percent. It's more like- enjoyable than I'll do anything. Mm-hmm. And um, a bit more of a success, more, much, much closer to that James L. Brooks style that we've mm-hmm. come to know. Uh, but I, I, I think it's, un- you know, I don't. It, again, I, I'm not a huge fan of judging things. You know, saying something stinks because they were not ahead of the curve. moral or moral or social curve 30 right. years prior um when it was actually probably ahead of the moral and social curve in 1997 oh yeah well when you think about like god like i could 100 percent see this being like an eye-opener for a couple of folks back then i could mm-hmm. yeah and it's like uh and you know maybe there's people and i think the thing too is back in the late 90s i think people were more Maybe people were more uh, open about uh, relating to a Melvin Udall type. And maybe that was like, you know, maybe the fact that the Melvin Udall type uh, is able to cohabitate and ultimately, you know, maybe that uh, maybe that was like a good thing. I don't know. But it's also just like, I think the thing too nowadays is people like, yeah, no one nowadays would even dare to like associate themselves with like a Melvin. Yeah, he'd just be a social pariah. Yeah, yeah, and he would have been booted from that restaurant. Oh, 100 day one. <laughs> I'd love to see a version of this movie where this the 2021 as good as it gets, where like yeah, just the, he's just isolated and alone because of his horrible actions. But that's Not also isolated. like a sad thing because this guy would have been ostracized, just been a human being, like left to rot. And maybe yeah. he deserved it, maybe he didn't, but it's also like... Oh, it's totally grim. It's No, it's grim. I'm with you. It's like this thing where, like... um, And there's a way to make a movie with a Melvin and well, have he, him... Would, he, he also would have lost his uh, novelist contract. Oh, 100%. Yeah, Melvin's... Yeah. <laughs> Melvin Udall is cancelled. Yeah, Melvin Udall <laughs> would have been cancelled. Yeah, boy, I grew up with Melvin Udall, but no more. No more, no more. yeah, no yeah. more. Yeah. Lost respect for Melvin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Monster. Yeah, Melvin. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, Melvin was on uh, Infowars. Oh no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah he started. He's ranting with Alex Jones and Joe Rogan about social justice warriors. Uh-oh. Oh, dude, you bet. Oh, Mel- no. you, you bet Melvin's not taking that vaccine. Yeah, you no. bet. If he doesn't oh, like pills, he's right. not taking you're, the vaccine. You're right. Uh, Melvin is definitely anti-vax. There's no <laughs> question about that. <laughs> yeah, he could play. He could play a game of ball with Aaron Rodgers. Um, but yeah it's um, I'm going to call it um, good with reservations as good as it gets with asterisks with reservations yeah (laughs) Um, (laughs) like I I enjoyed watching it It, but there were um, you know it wasn't like you know when when I watched finally watched Titanic or Avatar I was like oh I like these these are good like these are cool, uh, yeah. Doug, you know. It, it didn't like reach those heights of kind of like a movie I missed coming back to that everyone saw. You know, I, I think it's it's fine. Yeah, same here. It is kind of like a bummer because, like I said, like yeah, when I was a kid, I liked this. Movie. Although, like I liked it, I wasn't like you know the number one as good as it, I feel like somehow I've been trumpeting myself as like the number one as good as it gets fan mm-hmm. or something as a child well, like in that I, yeah I, I see the, the the poster of jack nicholson grinning his ass off right behind <laughs> yeah. you you got a poster up in your bedroom <laughs> that is true I, I do have that tattooed oh, on my forehead because you moved back in with your mom and you had to get all the stuff out from the garage and one of those things wasn't as good as it gets poster that you got on the wall now. yeah no that's like i had yeah you know i just i had a date with someone and she uh confused uh she confused uh, John Updike with Buster Keaton. You, you, you and... big, li- you big leagued her about novelists. And yeah. that was it. <laughs> you fucking idiot, yeah, no. Charlie Chaplin, eat shit, you dog. <laughs> you are a dumb asshole, and you're paying for dinner. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna drive 15 miles to the Santa Monica Pier so I can scream. <laughs> <laughs> you cur. <laughs> You're that paying was, for the- so we're back to mother apparently we've gone full circle yeah. um yeah i mean another another fun week with these guys though i mean yeah. these, there's like fun like, stuff to talk about they're never they're boring enjoyable. yeah they're never boring you can I'm, all do anything never boring yeah uh horrifying yeah like i'll, I'll do anything yeah yeah like, i mean a mess but you know yeah it, watchable sort yeah. of no not really <laughs> you know that one really, that one uh, that was the bad one that was the one bad one we it's not a, not not the strongest film but um next week we're heading into you know the late 90s early 2000s with our boys uh jumping ahead to 1999's the muse from albert brooks which mm-hmm. i have never seen just seen the poster for and 2004's spanglish from James L. Brooks, which I have seen. And we get to talk more Sandler, which everybody knows, Academy Academy favorite topic. Oh, yeah. Sandler. Oh, man. By the way, both, folks. both of the text chain and on the show, we oh, talk yeah. about Adam Sandler a lot. Do yourself a favor, go on Twitter, look up Adam Sandler Pickle. Like, yeah, uh, it's a he's, treat. He's doing it again. Hubie uh, Halloween is up to no good. The king is back. The king, the king is back. The king, the king never left. The king never left. I'll hail the king. Yeah, so we get to talk Sandler again, first time since Jack and Jill. Uh, we, you know, let's see it. We're not talking about Sandler's best movies. We're not talking uh, Punch Drunk Lover, Uncut Gems, or even Billy Madison here. So we got yeah. some of the uh, lesser Sandler pictures. But uh, yeah, excited cut. to um, see The Muse for the first time and excited yeah. to 
revisit Spanglish for the first time since 2004. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know what? Uh, there's a good sandwich in that movie. I know that much. Yep, there is a sandwich. Uh, <laughs> it's a. Uh, I'm curious. I remember not loving it, but you know, we'll see. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's a maybe it's a maybe it's a real gem. Diamond oh, in the man. rough jam, but yeah, yeah, we're getting up there with the boys. Uh, no longer boys, <laughs> you know, both, yeah. both guys well into middle age. Oh yeah, boys to men. They've boys to they've, boys to men. Yeah, the Brooks boys. But yeah, next week we got the Muse. We got Spanglish as we head into the. I mean, sadly, the tail end of Brooks Brooks. So we'll see y'all next week. Uh, goodbye. Tell your children not to walk my way Tell your children not to hear my words What they mean, what they say Mother Mother Can you keep them in the dark for a while? Can you 